Good morning. We're going to be in Galatians again this morning in the second chapter. If you would turn there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a beautiful morning you have given us um, in this gathering of believers, this gathering of saints on this Sunday morning, on this Reformation Sunday. God, I pray, Lord, as we go throughout the day in this message and our activities tonight, God, that we would remember the work you did 500 years ago. To magnify truth. Lord, and I pray, God, that you would work in us in that way again. God, that we would seek to give you glory and honor. I thank you for Paul this morning in the Sola Scriptura. God, I pray, Lord, that we would honor that. That we wouldn't just talk about it, but that we would honor it in our teaching and in our walk. Lord, God, let me honor that as I approach this scripture this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that we would see the error that they had then. And that we would believe Paul's teaching. That we would believe you and what you have given us to correct that error. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So... I actually came up with the title for the sermon before I preached the sermon this time. And I just changed it a little because it sounds better now that I'm looking at it. The title of chapter 2, um, and we're going to be through about through verse 10, is Unity in the Gospel Alone. Unity in the Gospel Alone. And as Paul says, like any good teacher, I must review before we go on into chapter 2. Um, and, and the reason for this is you, you realize that the chapters were not there when this was written. This was a long, continuous letter. And I praise God that they are there because I would never be able to find anything if they weren't. But... That's the reason they're there is so that we can find things that we can, you know, locate scriptures when we need to. But it's almost like it's in mid-thought. We have chapter 1 stop and chapter 2, but it's right in the mid. I mean, he's just writing a letter explaining what's going on. So we need to go back and look at what uh, we saw last month. Paul is being challenged in the churches that uh, that were started as a result of his preaching. He went through this area of Galatia, planted several churches. His preaching resulted in these churches being established. And he's being challenged now. He's not there any longer. And there's people coming in, men coming in, false teachers coming in. We call them Judaizers. So you'll hear me say that a lot. Judaizer, Judaizers. And they're coming in trying to bring the Christians back under the law. 
One of the things that they're doing is insisting that the Gentiles are circumcised. They, they insist that they need to be circumcised in order to follow God. They're trying to bring them back under the Jewish feasts um, for justification. Try, it's, it's like an addition. In order to reach completion as a Christian, you need to be circumcised. In order to reach completion, you have a start here, but in order to really please God, really be saved, you need to be back under these feasts and back under these laws and these um, dietary laws and things like that. They're trying to bring all this in. Basically, it's like this. The The Judaizers thought Paul's gospel of justification by grace alone through faith alone was inadequate. It wasn't that it wasn't good, it just wasn't enough. And you're going to hear some similarities in this as we go on from things we hear today. So they added their other requirements. But in order to make their requirements stick, they had to discredit Paul. Right? That's what they had to do. They had to discredit Paul's gospel. And to do that... They had to discredit his authority as an apostle. So you saw in chapter 1 a lot that Paul is basically giving his credentials as an apostle. And then at the end of chapter 1, or or through chapter 1, he reaffirms his apostleship by describing that God directly revealed this gospel to him. It wasn't taught to him. By men, God directly revealed it to him as an apostle. And he took specific steps to explain to him that there was not any accusation from the other apostles that he had the gospel wrong. So that's kind of what we see in the end of chapter 1. Look, he went off by himself for three years. He preached the gospel all through um, that, that region. Then he went and met with Peter. He'd been preaching it for three years. If he had been preaching it wrong, they would have called for him. They would have called him and said, look, brother, you got this wrong. That's what they, they were the authority. Um, And you got to remember at this time, the scriptures were not complete. So we have sola scriptura now as the ultimate authority. These were the apostles. So they were the authority at that time. They were the ones that were writing the scriptures that we now use. So they would not have allowed him to continue in error without addressing that. Um, and he, he makes clear that that was the case. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, they glorified God in me. And he was, so he was and is affirmed by the apostles and the church to be an apostle. That's what he made clear in chapter 1. Look, these Judaizers are coming in and they're saying, I'm not an apostle That is not true. If it was today, it would be easy. Here, call up Peter, and he will affirm me. It wasn't quite that simple in these times, because word didn't travel quite as fast. We didn't have the communications that we have now. Um, So, in a lot of ways, it it was just a lot different. But he's saying, look, it has been affirmed. I've proven it by the way that all of this has worked out. My testimony proves it. They affirm it. We are one. And then he, so in verse one, he continues on. And in verse one, it says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. 
And so he's reestablished his apostleship, his authority. But now there's still there's still a potential for a problem there. Okay, so Paul's an apostle. That's clear. He's made that clear. Peter and James, they're also apostles back at Jerusalem, right? And John and So it could be that the Judaizers are now going This is what false teachers do. All right, they're not going to stop. Oh, well, okay, Paul's an apostle. We're going to back out, right? That's how Satan works. No, he's subtle. He's cunning. And his people are subtle and cunning as well. And so false teachers are subtle and cunning. So what do the Judaizers do at that point? What are they going to do? They're going to pit the apostles against one another. They're going to try to. I'm sure that's the report that was being given. Okay, so Paul's an apostle. Well, he doesn't agree with the apostles at, Jude, at Jerusalem. We come representing the apostles at Jerusalem, and they say you need to be circumcised. And they say you need to keep these feasts. And they say you shouldn't eat pork. That's what they're coming in saying. Now, Paul, so they're both claiming to be a, So we have what? A schism. A divide in the church. Now, here's the thing. There is no divide in the church. But the Judaizers, the false teachers, are coming in and saying that there are. Um, So, basically, they're saying, we got two groups of people preaching two different gospels. John Piper says this about this situation. He says, if one apostle preaches one gospel... And another apostle preaches another gospel. The foundation of the church is cracked and the whole edifice will eventually collapse. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says, well back up to verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So if Satan can get you to believe that the apostles did not agree, the foundation just fell. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Of course, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. But they were in agreement, but the false teachers are coming in saying, no, Paul and Peter... They're not in agreement. They have two different gospels, two different truths that they are claiming. And so Paul is going to address that. He's going to use his experience to further the, explain the situation. And he, so he says 14 years, and we're not exactly sure if the 14 years is after his salvation. It looks more like it was 14 years after he had been to Jerusalem. He goes out and he preaches, he plants churches, he's doing the work that Paul does. And then 14 years later, he goes back to um, back to Jerusalem. And so it's a considerable amount of time. 14 years has gone by. Paul is preaching this gospel. There has been no call for him from the church at at Jerusalem. Peter hasn't called him. John hasn't called him. James hasn't called him. They haven't said, hey, this Paul guy... He seems like he's really converted, but he's out there preaching 
grace alone. We better get him in here and let him know he needs to preach the law. No, there hasn't been that. It's been 14 years and nothing said. And that's his point in this. Um, and then it says he, that he went with Barnabas and Titus. And I, I, I believe, and most people agree, if you'll turn over to Acts chapter 15, we actually see the account. I, I believe this is the same account that he's referring to. And I'm going, to re- I'm going to read 1 through 11 just so we can kind of get the context of what is going on. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of, Mo- of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, I always would like to see what their no small dissent and dis- uh, dispute was like. One thing's for sure, just like we heard this morning, people of the scriptures, people of God, have not been historically afraid to stand on truth even when they stood alone. And I can see Paul as that guy. Paul was deceived for a long time. Paul was a false religious leader for a long time. And when God saved him out of that, he gave him a boldness. Um, stand on truth. So it, it would have been interesting to see the not so small dissension and dispute with them. And then it says they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So there's these false teachers coming in talking about circumcision. And they say these we need to send Paul and Barnabas up there to talk to them. And so in, so being sent on their way by the church. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. And so even on their way there, God is obviously with them. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing Gentiles come to Christ. They're reporting these Gentiles that are come to Christ. And everybody's rejoicing. The church is glad. All of this going on while they're there. Look at verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through grace, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles of wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And 
and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is, as it is written. After this, I will. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to. That's stop there. But so basically, we have the account here of Paul and Barnabas, and I believe Titus was with them. It doesn't mention him in Acts, but it does over in Galatians. They're going up. There's this problem. And this is one of the first times, this is one of the first councils of the church to get together. Okay, this question has come up. We are going to come together and decide what is the truth. And you have the apostles come together in this case. And it was Paul with them and Barnabas. And they come together. And Peter, at the end of the conversation, says, this is nonsense. Why would we put a yoke on them that our fathers couldn't bear? Now, was that talking specifically about circumcision? Was it talking about circumcision only? No. Their fathers took care of that. That's one that you can do. You can circumcise every child on the eighth day and you can keep that right. But what what the whole discussion is, what Peter's saying here is, circumcision is the picture of the law. You are not justified by the law. He says, and then he goes on, he says, we believe they are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. It's all by grace. And that's what we're going to see as Paul goes on in Galatians. So turn back over there. And and so this, this shows a couple of things. The fact that Paul takes Titus, I think, was for two purposes. I think one was, because Titus was a Greek. You've got to remember, we're shortly removed, 20, 25, 30 years, I don't know, from an absolute division of racial uh, sects there. I mean, there was not a lot of interaction between Jews and Gentiles. And so now we're shortly removed from that. And Paul, who was a Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, From the tribe of Benjamin, right? Circumcised on the eighth day. Paul was a Pharisee. He was staunch in that. And now he's rolling into Jerusalem in front of Pharisees, side by side with the Greek, Titus. And I love the fact that the gospel tears down those racial walls. Tears down those traditional walls. Tears down all of that... um, false idea, the lies of Satan of how there's differences in our races or even in culture. He's rolling in there now side by side with Titus. And it also does the other thing um, it, with it, it's going to prove out back to Galatia. Hey, look, they let Titus come right on in and fellowship with us. And he wasn't even circumcised. And so it also gave Barnabas and Titus as witnesses when Paul goes back and says this. So it's not just uh, one man saying it. Now, look at verse 2. He said, I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So how did Paul go? By revelation, once again, being led by the Spirit, not by men. He goes up to communicate them the gospel. And it says that he went privately to those who were of reputation. 
he called the, the other apostles, and we saw it there in Acts. They, they got together privately and discussed this first. And he lays out the gospel for them in private. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to be gleaned from that situation. It's kind of a side note to the entire narrative. But controversies are better solved in small numbers. And, and this is a problem in our culture, I think, because of social media. The airing out, and, and this is especially true among Christians, airing out our issues that really should be kept in-house on a public forum where the entire world can see it is probably not the most wise way to go about your business. Paul and Barnabas didn't do it. They got Peter and James and John separate and said, hey, let's talk about this. Um, Also, that leadership decisions are better made in small numbers. And part of the reason for this is because we're sinners. And our pride gets in the way already. But when there is an audience, our pride gets way worse. I don't want to be corrected in front of the entire church. That's why that's the last step of church discipline. That's why the first step is one-on-one, and then two-on-one, and then the elders, and then the entire church. Why? Because that's a last step necessary. We don't want to hash this. If, if I am being challenged, and I've seen this happen with a lot of men, If you challenge somebody in front of a group, it is not going to go well. But if you get them aside and you talk to them one-on-one and say, Hey, have you ever considered this? Have you ever considered this? And there may be even times when you have to get really blunt and strict and harsh with somebody. But it's in the context where it's not embarrassing. It's not attacking that. And they can actually consider it then it's much more, there's much more wisdom in that. And that's what we see here with Paul and Barnabas. So they go in privately um, to those who were of reputation, to those who were important. And here's part of the deal. Did Paul know exactly what they were going to say? No. He didn't. And we'll see later in this chapter, actually it will be next month, that there were some issues that Paul had to address with Peter. Because even though these were apostles, they were still men. And they can still be in error. They can still have mistakes. And so he takes them in privately and and addresses those situations. Now look at verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So he's writing this letter to the Galatians. And it's like he's saying... You're telling me these Judaizers are coming in and they're telling you that you have to be circumcised. But I took Titus to Jerusalem. He went in the synagogues. And they didn't bother to make him be circumcised. Everybody was fine with him. Everybody was fine with me and him walking side by side. He had no need to be circumcised. He's a Greek. You're a Greek. But these guys are coming to Galatia and telling you, you need to be circumcised. No, they're lying. 
That's basically what he's saying. We worship together alongside these apostles that these Judaizers are claiming to represent. We were there. We know them personally. And they didn't require Titus to be circumcised. What does that mean? The further implication of that is not just circumcision. It's how you're made right with God. And it's not by works. It's not by the things that you do. It's by the grace of God. Verse 4. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Oh, the lengths the legalistic mind will go to bring others into their bondage. You've probably all seen it. You've probably all witnessed it. I have. I've seen it. I've done it. It is incredible The depraved mind, when bound with legalism, is a scary, powerful thing. They they sent in spies to find out what kind of laws they were breaking. The apostles. The founders of the church. The ones, these are the ones, not Paul. Paul walked with Jesus later. But Peter. James, John, they walked with Christ. They're in there having this meeting. They're in there having this fellowship with this Greek. They're eating their food and these they send in spies. Hey, how did they do it? I don't know. Maybe it was servants. I don't know who they sent in. But they're like, hey, go find out what they're doing. So we'll have something to blast them with. Do we see that in our culture today? Constantly. Constantly, there are people looking for something wrong with anybody who claims to be Christ, especially if they're in any kind of uh, status, stature, celebrity place. Um, they're constantly wanting to find something wrong. I remember when uh, I remember when Tim Tebow was—I think he was still in college—and this this. I mean, he was he was outspoken for Christ, so there was all kinds of attacks coming from every direction. But I listened to about a 20-minute conversation on the radio one day of some guys claiming that there is no way he's a virgin. Because that's what he said. He said, I'm saving myself for marriage. And they were blasting him. He's lying. There's no way. That's impossible. Have you seen his girlfriend? Blah, 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 blah. Why? Because if you are under bondage, you feel better if somebody else is with you. If you are under sin, you feel better if somebody else is with you. This starts from a very young age. You try it with your children. If you have young children, you get on to them for something, what's the first thing they do? Grab somebody else and bring them right along with them. And we want to do the same thing as adults. It's a nature. It's a problem with the heart. And we see it so clear here. We're, what? There's, people will get angry with you because you're not under bondage. People will get angry with you because you have liberty in Christ. And they want to bring you back under the same bondage that they're under. Because if I'm not happy, if I'm miserable, you should be too. And that's what we see. Um, you know, when we look at it today, we still see it. 
We see it in a lot of different ways. We see it under the same actual traditions of the law. There are groups of people that will want to bring you under this same bondage that these Judaizers are bringing them under. You need to keep the feasts. There's uh, the, um, well, Ronnie's talked with one a lot, probably some other people in here too, um, that was very caught up in that stuff. If you're not keeping the law, you're basically not saved. Those are not real common though. We have some in the new, in um, new traditions of new law. Where people make up their own laws. At least that one, at least the Judaizers were using a God-given law. We have groups today that are making up their own laws in order to be saved. You know, when we think about this, we're, celebra- we're celebrating Reformation Day tonight. The door that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on. And all he was really wanting to do was bring up all these issues and discuss them with the church so that we could... Correct him. He had no idea what kind of thing he was about to start, but God knew. And God used it for his glory. And God used it for reformation. But one of the main things in that reformation, you've heard of the five solas of the reformation. You heard it this morning of sola scriptura if you were here for equipping hour. Well, one of the main things is by grace alone through faith alone. Two, Two of the solas. And that's the very thing that Paul is is proving here. This goes way back before the Catholic Church. This goes way back before the Reformation that Martin Luther started. It actually started long before Martin Luther, but it just kind of set the real ball into motion. But there were men that were fighting it from the point of Paul here all the way until now. And we're still called to fight for this sola gratia, by grace alone. That's what he's proving. Um, and, and if you think that it's not still here, I have Catholic friends. Probably most of us do. We're not in a heavily Catholic area, but you go south a little ways. I spent time in Louisiana this summer, and there's a lot of Catholics there. And they're here, but listen to what, um, from Catholic.com, their website, says this. We are bound to follow the law of Christ, as St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.21, but we must understand that we are saved by grace. Now listen, this is the point I want to make here. You're going to hear terminology that sounds right. Saved by grace. We want you to know you're saved by grace. We understand that we are saved by grace. Through the instruments of faith and obedience. So saved by grace, through faith and obedience. There's where you, you, you've just left the solas. Alright, but listen to what it says. That obedience includes keeping the Ten Commandments. But the keeping of the commandments is an instrument, a necessary instrument, through which the grace of God flows and keeps us in Christ. The principle of reward for us, thus we have to keep the commandments to be saved. But we understand it is only through grace that we can do so. I believed something extremely similar to that up until the point I was saved. 
The grace of God comes to you so that you are able to work out your salvation. You're able to earn it. You have to keep the commandments. That's not grace. That's works. That's, I'm going to do it with a little help from God. I can do it. No, that is not what Galatians is saying. That is not what Paul was teaching. And what he has spent the first two chapters proving is that's not what the apostles at Jerusalem were teaching either. It's by grace alone that we are saved. Listen to this one from our Church of Christ friends. It is not a work salvation as though God owes me a wage for my actions. Salvation is a free gift from God. And that'd be great if it stopped there. But Bob Chandler used to say you were doing really good until you got your butt in here. But the gift is conditional. Just like the covenant was with the Israelites, so is the covenant with God through Jesus. It's conditional. The grace of God is conditional. That's what was being taught in the churches of Galatia. I can only imagine Paul's anguish when he starts hearing this stuff. He labored with them. He preached to them. He taught them the grace of God. And then shortly after, these false prophets, these false witnesses, these false teachers come in and are saying, no, it's grace plus obedience it's grace plus now does that mean we want to make it clear and i think we do that that does not mean there's not obedience of course there's obedience god changes your heart you're going to follow him you're going to believe him you're going to obey him but that has nothing to do with your salvation it is a result of your salvation not a cause of it so when they say it is conditional that's just Flat out false. And it surrounds us. And the, the scary thing is, you will find most people in orthodox, supposedly orthodox, Protestant, evangelical churches that would believe that in a heartbeat. They would latch on to that. Why? Because it's, a, it's not, grace alone is not taught the way it should be anymore. And, and those people will attack our liberties. They'll either attack, attack them in the Old Testament law. Your salvation is conditional. You failed a little bit. You messed up. You sinned. Hey, listen, how many people in here are sinless in the last two days? Ten minutes? Two minutes? Hopefully nobody's raising their hand. We can't do that in the prison. They all raise their hand. Doesn't work. But, yeah, it's amazing. We're not sinless. We mess up. If our grace was conditional, if our salvation was conditional on you, i got news for you. You're going to fail. I'm going to fail. Our salvation is conditional on the blood of Christ and His perfection. Guess what? That doesn't change. So verse 5, he says, To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I used to really struggle with this because it says even for an hour. So I was like, did they give them 30 minutes? No, this was the saying at the time. They didn't have seconds. They didn't have a stopwatch. 
This was a saying at the time. We didn't give them an hour. We didn't give them anything. We didn't. We would say it today like we didn't even give them submission for a second. No, we did not yield submission that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. We went. We discussed it privately. We agreed. We came out and we told them how it was. And there's a lot we can learn from that. As well, we can get a glimpse of, I think, how church structure should be here. And I I believe that's how we've tried to follow that church structure here at Sovereign Grace. The apostles went in, discussed it. And we don't know what everything that went on in that discussion discussion, but we know when they came out, they were unified and they agreed on the truth of the scripture, which is this law is not part of your salvation. And we didn't allow any room for these Judaizers to make accusations. They didn't get a voice. They didn't get to talk. They didn't have a chance to question and accuse and all the false things that they wanted to do. Nope. It's done. God has spoken, and this is the end of it. And and the purpose, there was a reason that's the end of it. It's not just being hard for the sake of being hard. It's not just not letting them talk because we don't want them to talk. No, we're not going to give them a platform for a reason. And it's so the truth of the gospel will continue with you. He's talking to the Galatians. He's talking to the Gentiles. The truth of the gospel will continue with you. And let me tell you something. He's talking about you individually today. The reason they stood so firm on this, the reason that they didn't give them an inch, the reason that they didn't allow them a platform was so that the truth of the gospel will continue with you personally. Each and every one of you, the truth of the gospel is continuing. Had they given any credence to what was being said, had they allowed it even for a minute, it would have been detrimental to the gospel. Why? Why would it have been so detrimental to the gospel? Because if the gospel is not by grace alone through faith alone, as we saw in the first chapter, it is no gospel at all. The gospel means good news. If it, I got some, I got some news for you. If it is based on anything other than grace alone through faith alone, that's not good news. Why? Because that means it's based on you, and you will fail. It's important to understand. They did it for the sake. They did it for my sake, and they did it for your sake. And it is personal. It is that personal when it comes to us in this book of Galatians. It is that personal that it comes to you. And that, that discussion they had, that trip that Paul and Barnabas and Titus took to Jerusalem, and all of the, the work that went forth and the, the persecution that Paul went through and the persecution that the other apostles went to and the death All of it was so that we could have the Word of God. All of it was so that you would have an opportunity to be saved. And of course, take it all the way to Christ. And it becomes personal. Christ died for you. 
Not for sinners. I mean, he did. He died for sinners, but he specifically died for your sin. The sin that you committed yesterday. The sin that you commit today. It's personal. Verse 6. He says, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. And if you and skip down to verse 9, I've used their names a lot. It's Peter, James, and John, the ones that are listed in this particular account. And that's who he's talking about. They're the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. They are apostles. And he's saying, he's not trying to slight their office. That's not what his point is here. He's pointing out two things. First, he's equal with them. He's an apostle just like they are. He's made that very clear. It's very important that that is clear in this context. He's also pointing out that God called them to do great things. They were put on a great position, but they are still men just like us. They're still humans. They were given a great authority. They were given revelation, but they're still men. And we would do good to remember this, um, and we're going to see a little bit more of that in, in next time when we get to verse 10, um, where... Where Paul and Peter, where Paul withstands Peter. He has to correct Peter. Um, But we would do good to remember this because we all have tendencies to fall into different levels of sin by being respecters of persons. I've seen it with myself and I've seen it with others. Um, Celebrity pastors, musicians, writers. Whoever it is within Christianity, it's like, oh, well, I'm really worried about what Don Curran thinks. I'm really worried about what Paul Washer thinks. You know, I have this concern. And now, that doesn't mean we don't hold them in that authority because they do, but they are not. We are sola scriptura, meaning elders and evangelists are under the authority of Scripture. And we, we got to remember that whenever we worry about these things. This is going to be an issue um, coming up, I think, with Kanye West. I think we're seeing two things going on with Kanye West. One, we're seeing a probably a type of persecution, unbelief, and not giving him a benefit of the doubt that we would with somebody else who was saved on one side of Christianity. And then I think on the other side of Christianity... It's unfair to him because automatically he's expected, I think, to be this. I mean, he's already on a platform. He can't help that. That's that's where he was when he was saved. But I think there's probably this level of expectation like he should already be a mature Christian. We're going to see struggles with him. Right. And he's not to the level. I mean, I listened to a couple of his songs today and they were really good, but. They're not like this rich, deep theological things I hear in Dylan's music. Why? He's, he's brand new saved. You know? I'm sure if Dylan went back and listened to some of his songs when he was first saved, he would go, wow, I've learned a lot. I've learned more than I realize. Right? And so we got to keep this in mind when we're... Li- and, and musicians, by the way, somebody that's good at music doesn't necessarily make them... A great theologian. 
you know. And somebody who is pastoring a megachurch doesn't necessarily make them a great theologian. Paul Washer, I'm reminded a lot of times, it comes to my mind a lot of times, somebody asked him one time who he thinks the best preacher is. And he said, you probably don't know him. Why? He's probably somewhere in a jungle preaching to a little bitty village. And that's the reality. The best preacher is the one who God speaks through. And that's what I think we can see from Paul here. God is no respecter of persons. God is not impressed with Kanye West's celebrity status. He can use it or he can destroy it. And either way, God will get glory. He can bring Kanye West to the point where nobody knows who he is. And that would be just as glorifying to God as using his celebrity. We, we need to remember that. And then he says, they, they added nothing to me. They added nothing to Paul. In other words, Paul laid out his gospel message in front of the apostles. He said, here's what I've been preaching. And they said, it's exactly what we've been preaching. There was no difference in the gospel. There was no difference in how you received salvation. It was the same message. And then verse 7 and 8 says, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. So not only did they not add anything to Paul's gospel, but they affirmed him in Christ. They recognized through their testimonies of the powers that God was doing through them. It, it was kind of it was like it was like this. It was like they're hearing Paul tell all these testimonies of what all has happened with these Gentiles. And they're going, wow, this looks almost this is just like what God's been doing over here through Peter. He has sent Paul to the Gentiles to work miracles and to do these things and to see people saved and to see lives changed and hearts changed. That's what we've been seeing through Peter over here in Jerusalem. That's what we've been seeing Peter here in the Jews. It's the same. Praise God. God has sent an apostle to the Gentiles. In verse 9... It says, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. See, they realized, backing up to verse 8, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me. It all comes down to that. Who is doing the work? It is God. It is God alone. It is not God plus me. He's given me some help so that I can do some work through this. No, it is God alone that's working through them. And they have this realization that they are, they are being used by the same God in the same way to two different groups of people. That's all it is. And then they extend the right hand of fellowship. And that, that is where we see the true unity. 
they extended the white, the right hand of fellowship based on what? Based on, hey, let's just put aside our differences so that we can get along. No. No. Based on truth. Based on the truth of the gospel. We can put aside differences with people that don't agree with us. And we can get along, but we do not have the right hand of fellowship with them. Why? Because we're going two different directions. We're preaching two different things. What they are saying to the same people we are saying is going to lead them astray and we're trying to bring them to truth. You can't have unity in that. You can only have unity in the true gospel. This is something that we, I mean, we are facing it right now. Paul mentioned it this morning. The SBC is facing it, but that's just a symptom of a bigger problem. If it is not based on the truth of the gospel, it is not unity. It's staying silent when something should be said. It's getting along for the sake of getting along, but you're not in unity. It is actually fraud. It's fraudulent. It's deceptive, both to ourselves and any outsiders. I mean, you think the outsiders, you think the unbelievers that we're trying to bring to Christ, you think they can't see through that? You think they can't see me going arm in arm with a false teacher that's bringing in works-based salvation, and, but they can listen to both messages. Well, they don't agree. What they're saying is opposed to one another, but they're going to act like they're on the same team. It's fraudulent. And this is encouraging for this reason, because I know there's many people in here who have stood on these truths. I know there's many people in here who I have felt like they're on an island before. I've felt that way, and there's a lot of you that have felt that way too. Like, everything you say seems like you're, in a, in, you're opposed to the other people that claim to be Christians. But I would like to encourage you in that. As long as you're not being the one that, the, as long as you're not being offensive, as long as it's the gospel that's being offensive, you're standing in good company. You're standing with Paul and Barnabas and Titus and Peter and John and James and all the other apostles. So be encouraged by that. And then if you go on into history, as we're going to learn tonight, I hope everybody can come tonight. It's going to be great. Um, You're standing with the Reformers. You're standing with Luther. You're standing with Calvin. With Spurgeon. With Huss. I think we're doing Huss tonight, right? You want to come, if you don't know anything about John Huss, you don't want to miss this tonight. He was an incredible soldier for Christ. Why? Because the same God that worked through Peter and the same God that worked through Paul also worked through John Huss. And he's also the same one who will work through you today. So stand solid on that. And then verse 10 will close. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And this was also opposite of the character of the Pharisees and probably the Judaizers. Turn over real quick to Luke chapter 16. 
you can see the character of the Pharisees here. Luke 16, verse 13 and 14 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and wealth. But look at verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And it is very possible that the the Judaizers obviously had... The same ideas as the Pharisees. It's very possible that they were sent by the Pharisees. We already know that they would send in spies to spy out their liberty. It would not be shocking at all for them to send people to try to derail Paul's work in Galatia. But here we at the end, both Peter and Paul come together and they're in full agreement. They wanted me to remember the poor. I automatically was going to remember the poor. We always remember the poor. Why? Because that's what Christ did. And they had been neglected by the religious authorities for so long. And so, as we close, we see that Paul stood his ground so that the gospel continues with the Gentiles. And we're thankful for Paul's faithfulness. In this, so that we have the gospel today. If Paul wouldn't have been faithful, the book of Galatians wouldn't have been written, and we wouldn't have the clarity of the clarity of the gospel that we have. However, it's not man that we owe our thankful to thankfulness to, but it's Jesus. Think about this: it was God who conceived the gospel before the foundation of the world. And it was God who became a man and lived and died for our sins and resurrected from the grave. And it was God who chose the apostles, set them apart, taught them, and gave them the power to preach the gospel message. And then we just saw in verse 8 that it was God that worked through Peter, also worked through Paul. It's all a result of God. So you should be asking yourself, Have you opened your eyes and recognized this God? He went to all these lengths to see that. It, and, and if you take it down specifically, he went to these lengths to know that you would be sitting here today. To make sure that you would be sitting here today to hear this message. And so do you belong to Christ? It's a simple question. Do you belong to Christ? Does that message come directly to you or are you struggling with the message of the Judaizers? Are you trying to clean yourself up enough to come to Christ? There's a lot of people that struggle with that. They know he's real. They know in their heart that God is there. But I got to get myself fixed up. There's no way he can save me. We saw in Paul's testimony, he can save the chief of sinners. Your arrogance is so high that you think your sin is worse than everybody else's, that God can't save it? No. Or, do you think you're a Christian, but are really more concerned with your own set of rules 
than the gospel. That's who I was. I was much more concerned with keeping my rules and I could change them how I kind of wanted to so that I could manage to keep them and so that I could put them on other people and so that I could judge on other people and so that I could degrade other people because they weren't keeping the same rules that I am. Is that you? Only you can know. Only you can examine yourself. And so, as we move into communion now, I encourage you to examine your heart and your motive and your relationship with Christ.